Hello and welcome to Trees Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're watching a Netflix film today, The Old Guard. Yes. Made for Netflix, I think, with Netflix yes. money. It's not just one that they've bought and, and distributed. Right. It's their own film. Um, it stars Charlie Theron and Chiwetel Ejiofor, lots of other actors that I haven't heard of. Matthias Schoenitz is in there as well. Yes, he is. He plays uh, Booker. It's directed by Gina Prince Bythewood, or Bithwood. I don't, I've never heard of her before. No, I mean, I have heard of her, but I haven't seen any of her films. Uh, she made Love and Basketball, The Secret Life of Bees, Beyond the Lights. Yes, so The Secret Life of Bees and Love and Basketball uh, got a real buzz uh, a few years ago. Uh, so she's a name. And actually, on the basis of this film, I think you know she's a director to reckon with, actually. I didn't know anything about this film before we started, other than really that you wanted to watch it. And I'd seen, I think, one of the promotional shots of Charlie Theron... From very from like the opening scene of the film in like a black tank top and sort of combat gear, and she's got a short haircut and shades, and she's got a gun maybe, and she's like ready to have a fight, right? And I was like, oh, this is one of Jose's. He loves Charlie Theron as an action hero. Yeah, I didn't know anything else, and so, and if you don't know anything else, spoilers will be coming up. It turns out this is based on a comic book that I'd never heard of. Yes, and this is actually a kind of uh, superhero team type of movie. Yes, um, in a sense. So the way the film introduces this is the film starts off with her and her team, which seemed to be a kind of special ops team at the start, um, taking on a job to, uh, which is given to them by Chiwetel Ejiofor, uh, who's a CIA guy, to rescue some hostages from a, you know, being kept captive in a school somewhere. Yes. And when they get there, it turns out it's a setup, and a load of soldiers in there fire on them, kill them. It's just a firing squad. And they're done for... And then they get up and you go, oh, right, they're zombies or something. <laughs> and it turns out these are undead people. They, they, they're they immortal. They're immortals. They all come from different eras. So like the most recent one comes from about 200 years ago. But the oldest one, which is Charlie Sterling, comes from years, like eras ago. Yeah. And at some point they lose their immortality. But they have all these kind of, they have these healing factors. There are a couple of more uh, rules Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, uh, I want to mention. So the thing is that they are immortal, but they can die. So, and that's not necessarily a contradiction. I, they just, you know, everything that's alive dies, they say. So the difference between them and us is, you know, that instead of, you know, dying like at 60 or whatever, they can live for thousands and thousands and thousands of age, of years. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when they're killed, they don't get up and it's happened before and they don't know when that happens, right? Yeah. So, um, so immortal in quotation marks. Yeah, they live for really long times, but, you know, they can also die. They also don't know why they're immortal to, to begin with. That's right. It's something they discover about themselves and one of the characters here, you, a little bit like we were talking about Inception, how the Ariadne character is there to introduce you to the rest of the rules in the film. You have a character here who has some of that function, yeah. this young black girl uh, who's in the army who gets killed, and then wakes up. Um, so she doesn't know why she's immortal. She's very, very confused. She's picked up by the by the rest of the guys who sense where she is. They have some sort of telepathic connection with her. Mm. And she has to learn that you know, we don't know why this happens, but this is who you are. Yeah. And, and one of the questions they always ask about themselves is, why me? Yes. Yeah. Another of the rules is that they dream each other. You know, they have, like, this bond. So 
when one of them is born in quotation marks, the other senses, mm. right? But obviously they can only sense those that are born while they are already immortal, not those who, you know, were born before them, yeah? So there's a kind of a, a difference in knowledges, yeah, that kind of occurs in relation to when a person became immortal. And basically Andromache is the eldest, so like six or 7,000 years uh, before that. Two of them, uh, Joe and Nikki, uh, met in the Crusades, and one is an Italian and the other one is a Turk. Yeah, so got an interesting mix there of, you know, Muslims. The, the very uh, newest recruit is Kiki Lane, as uh, now Freeman, and, you know, she is just born as the film begins. And then you also have the Booker character who uh, fought with Napoleon. So he's, he's the youngest next to Nile, yeah? I mean, just basically like, what, 200 years old, yeah? A, a mere 200 years old. Yeah, a mere 200 years old. So, yeah. so, so the film's got a very interesting setup, yeah? Um, and actually, one of the things, I've been reading the comic book because I was so entranced by the film and uh, that, you know, it kind of, it led me to the comic book. And the comic book is fascinating because amongst other things, it's a kind of a serious work. Mm-hmm. You know, so each episode of the second series, you know, begins uh, with a quote from, you know, Arthur Miller or Oscar Wilde or mm. John le Carré, right? You know, that kind of is a quote on the themes of the series, right? Mm. I, you know, this is an action film that also has intellectual ambitions, yeah, that kind of... Well, that doesn't happen in the film. No, it doesn't um, happen in the film. But I'm just saying that yeah. it's a work that has kind of... So tell me about the comic, because I'm not read any of it. Um, is, it is, is it more of a graphic novel, or is it a, like a weekly series? Well, I mean, it's a graphic novel, in the sense, but it's released as individual episodes. So something right. like, I think, you know... Well, I've only read up to number five of the second series, so I don't know. Right? How many but were in the first series? I think it's about ten. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. and then... It's all, the, the narrative is already charted, so there are only three series, and then that will be it, yeah? Okay. But the reason why I wanted to talk to you about it is because, A, I was gobsmacked <laughs> that uh, a work like this uh, was commissioned and shown on Netflix. I, you know, it's entirely the kind of, you know, big-budget action spectacle film that you would expect to see at a Cineplex, Yeah. Don't you think? No. Ah, okay. Well, we'll discuss that. Yeah. Um, Well, here's the thing. Do you remember when we saw Stranger on the Third Floor, which you'd never seen before and I had, Uh and you spent the first 20, 30 minutes going, why did Mike want to see this? Mm. Because it was rubbish. Mm. And then it changed. That's rather like my experience with The Old Guard. Um, I mean, I wasn't like, I wasn't blown away when it changed, but for the first 40 minutes, I was thinking, why on earth? Did Jose want to see this? Because I'd seen some shite on Netflix. And this was just like it, I thought. Uh. It, it, despite the fact it had a huge star in it. Um, I thought it's... Uh, when it, before it got to... I'll tell you when it changed is when it was revealed um, that the two Crusade characters were gay. Yes, and, that's a fantastic uh, moment. Deeply in love with each other. And that's when... It wasn't just because they were gay that I thought I'm getting into it, but you know that was interesting, and then things started to change around the point. And I suppose I got into the swing of things, and the film has started to explain itself a bit more. But up until then, I thought this is just something that thinks it's cool, doesn't look all that appealing, frankly. I wasn't that keen on, I wasn't that keen on the aesthetic. I wasn't that keen on the action, and there was something oh, in I the way the, the characters spoke that was kind of because they knew things I didn't, 
and obviously you expect that to a point and you have to give the film time to mm. develop and you know kind of tell its story the way it wants but you know it reminded me of like the start of um Jessica Jessica Jones was it the net the um yeah the Marvel thing that was on Netflix, yeah. where you know the first episode or two of that is all characters going, "Oh, he's back," and you're like, "Who's he?" And it's just say what you mean. Like yeah. up to a point, I need to know. I felt this film was doing some of that. Okay, um, well, let, let me let me yeah begin by disputing it before I forget all the things that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, you know. So the first thing I found very exciting, you know, I found that sequence where they go uh, rescue. Uh, young girls who've been abducted in a slavery ring. That's what brings them to mm. that first action, right? Uh, and then they all get shot, and they get up. That instantly got my attention, yeah. You know, because then you want to find out how, what you know, what powers do they have? What yeah, what is this about? So, um, and I absolutely love the action sequences. Actually, I in know this you film. do. Yeah, I think they're brilliant. You see the action completed. You see the interplay between people doing the action. Mm. You know, so. So, you know, one character hits somebody, hands the gun to the other, the other then shoots somebody else. Like, you know, it's, it's absolutely brilliantly choreographed. And actually, I found it really exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, so those things, in combination with the budget, in combination with Charlize Theron, you, I think this is a film that I would have expected to see in the cinema. And it's interesting. $70 million dollar budget, bloody hell. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's understandable. You see the budget, you know. Yeah. Um, I so I, I think it's very interesting that even this type of, you know, action spectacle film based on comic books. It's exactly, it's almost like you know the the last things that are available to see on on a cineplex, and now they're being taken. You know, you're you're seeing them in, on Netflix. I think that's interesting. Well. Um... I, I don't. I don't know. I think some of it made some of it made sense to me in terms of like this is actually the kind of thing Netflix would do. And like I said, so just to finish the point about you know the first forty minutes did not grab me. I just thought that there are films that I've seen on Netflix that are Netflix productions, mm. um, and some that I think have just been bought by Netflix and went nowhere else. Like there's one called The Circle. There was a film called Arc, A R Q, which was this sci-fi. You know, I'm always interested in the way they do the sci-fi's because there might be good ideas in them, but. They are always so cheap and rubbish on Netflix, and, I th and this looks a lot like one of those. Well, you for see, a long time. I kind of, um, I mean, my marker of that is what is the latest Chris, um, the Australian blonde, uh, oh, uh, Thor, uh, <laughs> uh, Hemsworth. Hemsworth. Yeah, uh, the latest film that he did for Netflix is kind of what you're accusing this of being. Right. But I just thought it was trash. What was uh, it? It's about, uh, you know, a young kid is kidnapped in India and Chris, Chris Hemsworth is sent to uh, extract him. Um, it wasn't that Six Underground, was it? Might be. Um, that was a... Wasn't that Michael Bay? Yeah, well, it was one of those guys, yes. Um, and it was complete rubbish. <laughs> um, Extraction? Extraction, that's it. Directed by Sam Hargrave, produced by the Russos, who are Avengers guys. Yeah, right. I think, you know, that is exactly the kind of action film that I hate. It's all like explosions. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, you know, that big budget, big star, you know, yeah. uh, action spectacle film. Yeah, and, and it's on Netflix. So, but I think, I, I think uh, The Old Guard is doing some much more interesting things. It is. Um for my money, after a while, but it is. Mm. So, like I say, it gets to the point where they've rescued the new girl, um, Niall, 
and well, rescued in her terms she, she's been kidnapped but you know mm. they've got her she's now part of the team and you're starting to learn about who they are and, and why they're immortal or what, how they operate um, and as part of it you learn that these two characters um, are gay and in love with each other and this is what kind of made me think A this is more interesting than I yeah. first thought I mean that's an incredible declaration of love actually and as Andy Griffith pointed out what's even more incredible is that they make it with all the guns pointed at them. And then yeah. the, the scene has a rhythm so that, you know, it has like a rhythmic punctuation, i.e. all of these armed men with all their masks and everything separate them, right? And, you know, the, the cut or the move is just like this wonderful punctuation mark on their kiss, yeah? Mm. It's, the, the, yeah, the direct, it's the, really visually really well done. The declaration comes a, a little after this. Right. I'm talking about the where you actually just first learn. Ah, okay. The declaration I did think was really sweet yes and quite powerful and it really has that feeling of um i mean it made me it made me think of all those images of 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 minorities persecuted people being persecuted by the police yes it's what they are in this scene it's like it's in microcosm these two guys are surrounded by police pointing guns at them or maybe they're not police maybe they're military but same difference yes you know it makes you think of all that imagery and it's this defiant declaration and kiss in the middle of it Mm. it's really powerful yes Um, i was thinking of doing a little gif of it Saying now in Poland, <laughs> yeah. um, although there was a bit of bad grammar in it, which I didn't like. But. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not as powerful as um, the Wachowski's Cloud Atlas that moment in the Oxford Spires. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, so it's not it's not as beautifully filmed. It's not as romantically powerful, but it's it's more defiant. You know, because like yeah. they're not fighting anyone it's, up at the top of that yeah it's, that building. Like they're right in front of the police here. It's powerful. I, I suppose I'm trying to make a distinction between, mm. you know, what I think is a really great moment. Yeah, like you know, done with great skill and sensitivity and nuance, and something that you know is very effective and it's quite powerful actually. I found, but it's maybe not at the level of you know yeah that moment um, but it also kind of made me think well this is actually why this makes sense on Netflix and why Netflix I think is the place I would expect this um, if I would expect it anywhere because um, the kind of openness and freedom for want of better terms of the representation here are A very powerful but B something that I think companies would be scared of being so bold about in the cinema um, you know, it's, I mean, think how long it's taken for Marvel to put a woman at the centre of their films, that sort of thing. That's a very interesting way of looking at it, and actually almost the opposite of what, what, what I would have thought. But I think you're right, right? So, you know, historically, film has always been a place that's been more open to complex ideas than television, right? That was kind of, mm. you know, part of the way that cinema survived is by increasing the range of representation that was then available on television. And now Netflix has done the opposite. I mean, there are kind of, uh, you know, the range of representation available on Netflix is much wider than what's available on cinema because cinema is so capital intensive. It's such a risky investment. They're not, they're, they're really afraid of alienating anybody, right? Which obviously kind of means that, you Yeah, know. whereas Netflix in some regard, certainly in film, I think it's, it's still sort of the scrappy, uh, not underdog, but upstart. You know, the guy looking for attention. By way of analogy, consider the Taskmaster on, on, on TV, which was on Dave. It's now moved to Channel 4. It's a, it's a panel show where instead of it being like, like would I lie to you or have I got news for you, where you have different contestants every week, you have the same contestants for an entire series. And 
when they took it to the BBC and to Channel 4 and various places, they went, no, Rob, we don't want to see this. Like, what is it, a sitcom? Like, you want to see different people every week. Dave looked at it, which is this, you know, kind of smaller channel that's looking for original stuff, and they thought other people wouldn't do this. This sets us apart. And sure. Taskmaster became, you know, it's become one of the biggest things on TV. I think that's that's an analogous to what's going on here. Other people wouldn't do this, Netflix says. We will. Well, as I said, I would have thought the opposite, but I've come around to your point of view. I mean, the evidence <laughs> supports your point of view. Um, though, you know, calling Netflix an upstart. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm starting some, I, I still think in terms, of, in terms of cinema, I still think they are the thing of, they're still looking for the Oscars and they're still looking for all that kind of acclaim. So in terms of film, they're still not, I think, Actually, interestingly, you think they would have become even more so because they were growing in terms of their um, uh, film productions. Um, and you would have thought that since coronavirus has been here for five or six months and cinemas have been closed, they would have really taken over in that respect and they don't seem to have. Mm. Um, well, anyway, uh, I think they have. I mean, their viewing figures have mushroomed. Sure. So, um, but culturally, you know, that's this. The conversation still isn't well, really about them. I think also it's the way that the conversation is led. So another reason why I wanted to do a podcast on this film is because only a few years ago this would have been considered absolutely radical. I, you know, not just the declaration of love, mm-hmm. yeah, between this gay couple, which is a central thing. It's, you know, one of the central emotive things in the film, but also it's directed by a woman. You know, it has kind of uh, this incredible cross-cultural casting. Right. So, you know, you have a Muslim and you have a Christian, yeah, a Turk and an Italian, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the, Chris, the um, uh, FBI guy is black. You know, there's a the main relationship is between the Charlize Theron character uh, and uh, um, the young uh, black woman. What's it? Kiki? Yeah. Kiki Lane now Friedman. Right. So, you know, kind of they are in a way the central relationship or the, the leader and the leader to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, is uh, uh, yeah, a young black woman and, you know, an older uh, white woman. Uh, the center of the story is uh, uh, Andromache. Yeah? Andromache. Andromache. Uh, Andromache of Scythia, is it? Yeah. So, you, you know, you have... I'm glad like, I had subtitles on for that, I must say, when it came up. Uh, you have Charlize Theron... Uh, who is what now? Like she's close to 50, 45 or something, you know, leading an action uh, film like this, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that in itself is something. And actually it turns out that she's at least non-binary, right? So, you know, the big love of her life is another woman, Norika, mm-hmm. yeah, who was introduced at the end of the show. So, you know, yeah, to have like... Uh, uh, I hesitate to say lesbian because you're also told, you know, that she's had lots of affairs with men, but they die, right? Mm. Yeah, but for thousands of years, the love of her life is this woman, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean that's actually, amazing in a, in a movie or a... Yeah, know. well, when I, when I said these two characters, the guys from the Crusades, are gay, I mean, just saying that feels so reductive. And, and in that speech uh, that he gives, talking about how much he loves him, you know, the, the policeman says, what is it, your boyfriend? And he goes, you're such a child. He's so much more to me than that. And he's like, yeah, this is the film asserting that it is more than that. Like, love is so much deeper and mm. all these... And, and actually, that's why it feels so reductive to say, oh, they're gay. Yeah. Like, they are. Yes, well... But yeah. you don't know that that's all they are. And actually, the point is that this particular love it, it transcends the labels. 
Well, or it's the same as, I mean, you know, it's just making an equivalence, right? Yeah. It's uh, uh, about the depth of a love rather than the sexual orientation it takes. Yes. Or, totally. you know, who the sexual object is. But... Uh, but but I think they are gay, right? Like you know, I you know they, you're not told or shown anything else. That, oh yeah, yeah. But like they're, they're not not gay. But yeah. the film is also doing something about like I say. I think well, I think the idea of it trying to transcend the label is well, I try to show people that you know, kind of being gay is about feeling rather than just yes. sex. Yeah. Right. Um, but the Charlene Theron character is different because you're t- mm. you are told that she's had affairs with men. Yeah. Right. So, so that's why I'm hesitating. Lesbian, you know, non-binary. On the other hand, like mm-hmm. her main relationship and the love of her life is this woman. I think that's quite amazing to have in a seventy million dollar production, mm-hmm. you know, whether for Netflix or for something else. So I, uh, you know, I think this film that's directed by a woman, that a has, black woman, a black woman that has multiracial casting, you know, that its le- lead heroine is non-binary and also you know, in film terms, relatively old, yeah. You know, I mean, those are all amazing things. So I feel this film hasn't gotten enough attention, really. And it certainly hasn't gotten attention where you would expect to get it from, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you'd expect, like, kind of, you know, feminist film historians to be kind of, you know, super excited about about it. And I haven't read anything, mm-hmm. you know, that isn't just from the normal sources, yeah, you know. yeah. It reminded me of The Darkest Minds, which, if you remember, was the young adult superhero thing we saw about kids who, all the kids in America, develop superhero powers uh, at a young age, and then they're kind of rounded up into camps, and the film follows a few teens who are free and out on the loose and looking for Mm. a safe haven. Um, It reminded me of that because I remember essentially liking the film, although I don't think I did very much at first, but then you sort of taught me around as to why it was interesting, and it Mm. was to do with things like representation. Mm. Um, and the fact that, you know, like I just overlooked sort of the fact that um, a young black girl at the centre of this superhero film, which mm. is effectively what it was, is an interesting thing. Yes. And actually not to be taken for granted. Like I think we, in this film. Yes. I think it's something we took for granted in the, the animated Spider-Man film as well, Into the Spider-Verse. Yes. Like I don't think we really gave it its due that actually putting a black kid at the centre is, is not nothing. Yeah. You know? Um but the other reason I think it, it made me think of The Darkest Minds is that Darkest Minds felt like something of a trifle, in a way. Like, actually, all those things were very interesting and very heartfelt, and, and by the end, it was tragic, that film. Um, but there was something that still felt sort of insubstantial about the film overall. I can't quite put my finger on it. And there's something about, here, about this that does it too. And maybe it's actually just... Maybe it's a bias in that this doesn't come from uh, a source that I'm aware of. You know, whereas actually, like, if, if Marvel weren't so huge already, and if DC weren't so huge already, I wouldn't think that Batman and Iron Man and all the rest, and sort of Spider-Man, are great, or as great as I think they are. Mm. You know, so maybe, like, maybe it's just a bias that I didn't come to this with any particular knowledge. Mind you, I never came to Iron Man with any knowledge, and I loved that from the beginning, so I don't know. And maybe it's just a bias that, like, I need to look at new things with more open eyes, maybe. I don't know. I love it. Um, whilst, I, I mean... You know, I don't think it's a great masterpiece of the cinema, obviously, mm. but I think it's a really terrific, you know, action film, and I enjoyed it hugely, you know, and I was moved by elements of it. Actually, you know, that declaration of love, I, I loved it so much, actually, I excerpted it and <laughs> made a clip of it and, circ- and recirculated it so other people would see it, mm. right? I mean, it's very rare that a film gets me so excited as to, you know, 
yeah, try to push those things about it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and also what I really love about the film, and unlike my criticism of Batman, is that it's transnational, that it doesn't feel American, mm. you know? Yeah, and, mm. and there's no reason for it to feel American, yeah? Kind of the protagonists are from different places in the world, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and so on. Uh, so, and, and, and it gives the film a different feel. Yeah, there's a respect for knowledge and culture and science and learning and, mm. you know, that you actually want, yeah. I'm sure we will see it again in American cinema, but lately, it's been mm -hmm. like a pet peeve of mine that those things are not there. And you see it here. So, you know, and of course, it's not a problem in this film because actually none of the protagonists are meant to be American except one. Yeah. yeah. So, Although Andromache of Scythia sounds quite American. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't sound all that Greek. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they're, from, they're from all over. And, and it has that, that kind of globetrotting feel that I really like. It actually makes me think of something like James Bond. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, in, yeah, in that sense that uh, Bond travels the world. Or Mission Impossible has that um, feel to it. it. It does have a Eurocentric bias, right? Because mm. I think Norika is the only one who uh, comes from the East. There's no Africans or, you know, there's no. black people, but there's no Africans. Which actually, it's surprising because, you, you know, kind of, I don't know, at least the African lore that I'm familiar with would very much lend itself to an immortal. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, you know. Uh, goddess worshipping and all that stuff that uh, that Andromache uh, has experienced. Uh, so there's uh, room for a sequel. Yeah, there is. Uh, uh, so and the film clearly is looking for a sequel. I mean, it it, it sets up a cliffhanger. Well, it maybe even wants a universe. Yes. You know? Well, exactly. I mean, I think that's also what's so exciting about this film to me because you know when you were saying about Iron Man and so on, you know, you might not be familiar with Iron Man. But you're familiar with the Marvel Universe, or certainly anybody of my generation would have been, right? And then once you set up that universe, it's very easy to kind of bring in other things into it and bring in relations within it. They've all, already mm -hmm. all been worked out. This is something new, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think the comic book only came out in 2017. Right. Right. So, um, you know, I think it's kind of exciting and worth highlighting. I felt a bit cynical about that, pro about that prospect towards the end, but... But maybe, I mean, I'm just cynical about all things Netflix. And, you know, actually there is something quite exciting about this story continuing and these representations. Yes. You know, being, yeah, and the idea that they should, that, yeah, but they should bring in someone African. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone yeah, Japanese. Someone, yeah. Just start bringing in people from all over the shop. Um, you know, why not? Maybe some Aboriginal sort of warlord from... Australia, you know, why well, not? You, you could Native see, American. Like, you you could see how this universe could develop. On the other hand, they've said that they would only do three series and that would be it. Yeah, well, I mean, three, three I mean, I mean yeah, but Netflix, Netflix will do as many films as they want, won't they? Well, I suppose they buy the rights, don't they, to the world, not just to the story. Though yeah. that depends on what contract the, uh, the, the, the writers and illustrators sign. Um, I mean, Homeland was based on a... Um, uh, Israeli TV series that had one series, I think, and they got seven out of it in America. It's like, yes. yeah, you buy the, you buy it for the start, and then you go off and do your thing. Well, I mean, to tell the truth, I'm very excited about seeing what they come up with uh, next, and I was very excited to see Charlize Theron in this role. I think she's terrific in this kind of movie, actually. Uh, so, I think it's a terrific film uh, that does something that actually feels fresh and new, you know, with I think marvelous action set pieces. Uh, and people with characters that you're not normally used to seeing together in a frame. 
Do you think you would have been excited had you seen it in a cinema? I don't. Th- I th- I thought about this quite consciously, and I thought this visually, stylistically, this isn't interesting enough. Aesthetically, there's nothing really. Well, I mean, I have I this. have no way of knowing, you know. And um, my reason for seeing films first in the cinema is to avoid precisely that kind of question because there's no way of knowing, hmm. right? And and actually, even now, uh, if I if 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 this were showing in a cinema and we go to it. I'd still have imprinted in my mind my first experience of it. So already it mm. wouldn't be, you know, uh, a fresh view of it. I mean, I've, I've had films ruined like that. <laughs> so um, there's just no way of knowing it. I mean, the only thing that I can tell you is that seeing it on a smaller screen is whatever people say a disadvantage. Mm. You know, if you're looking at visuals. It did feel built for the smaller screen. I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it just felt plain televisual because I think it's better than that. And it's more expressive than that and more involved than that but still there's a there's a huge amount of focus on close-up you know cutting back to the like things things to make sure you can kind of very clearly see just faces and actually there there's less room or at least i feels like there's less room in its aesthetic uh sort of principles for expression than i would have liked well i'm sure you're right because you know it was it was made for a television screen yeah exactly you know but i think it worked very well that way and you got a lot more full-bodied action than you actually get on an IMAX screen with a Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> so, shall we wrap it I up I wasn't here? keen about some of that action, though. I loved there it. There was the odd shot that I liked. There was... There was uh, when um, Charlie Theron beats up several soldiers in the dark in the cathedral, there was a kind of single-take thing going on in there that I quite liked. But some of it was a bit near. I loved all of it. I loved her going through the corridor. You know who she was up against. You know, uh, you knew what she had to do to survive it. You didn't quite know what she would, how she would do it, Mm. you know, but your whole geography was like really clear. And as I said, the interplay between the characters was very clear where the, where the uh, hero stood in relation to the antagonist was really clear. You know, you also know that they have to avoid uh, being dead for more (laughs) than a few minutes because they're coming. So, you know, how that was choreographed in terms of doors and so on was, I thought, brilliant, uh, you know. I mean, my God! Yeah, in, compar- think- in comparison to that junk Chris Hemsworth film, or like I said, <laughs> the Christopher Nolan films that we've been seeing, you know, where kind of you know the action is conveyed through sound. I mean, really, this is to me was mm. wonderful. Yeah, I think we can sometimes overstate the importance of the sort of clarity of geography because it can be important, but sometimes it can also make things really sterile. And well, it's not sterile here. I, I felt some of it really was. Yeah. Well, we have to disagree on that. Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I really do think that those first 40 minutes, I thought, God, this is terrible. It, like, it wants to be cool. It wants to be... It, it wants me to not know what's going on. It wants to surprise me, all that s- stuff that they did in like, well, season eight of Game of Thrones, where it was like, subvert everyone's expectations, surprise them, and it was just shit. I like. And then eventually it turned into something interesting. But I do still think, ultimately, this is that kind of... This is kind of a trifle, and and that it's and that it makes sense that it's on Netflix because because <laughs> the trifles is all they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I disagree. and because Netflix yeah. is in some respects kind of just a, a content factory that just puts out countless things, and if one of them hits, it's fine. If a thousand don't, well, the one of them did. I think this is a really exciting mainstream queer film. Uh, that's action-packed and glossy and glamorous and with, you know, great action and that it hasn't gotten the attention it deserves. Fair enough. 
Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you.